Hey, if you're loving Creative Mind, check out some of our past episodes where we dive deep into topics like children's book illustration, video game design, filmmaking, and of course, the most important topic of all, how do you make a living as an artist? So please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes for links to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page for even more great content. If you're asking the right questions of the other party and understanding what that vision is, what they're trying to accomplish versus just pitching yourself, that's where trust comes in. Because have you ever had a conversation with somebody and at the end you're like, oh, they get me. Yeah, exactly. You know, they get me. Yeah. They understand me. Yeah. It's simply because you created a connection where you felt open enough to be vulnerable with them and share something with them. That is Dr. Cindy McGovern, the first lady of sales. And I enjoy saying that so much because really Dr. Cindy is here to teach us, to help us, to heal us of the burden we all have as artists, getting ourselves out there and getting people to give us the job. And that's a really hard thing for many of us to do. We dump our emotions and our feelings and our rage and our ideas out for people to see. And then we are spent and have nothing left to give to get people to go, hey, can you give me some money now? Can you pay me for this work? So grab a pen, grab a paper, grab your phone, take some notes any way you can as Dr. Cindy here talks to us about how sales works because it's a new year, it's a new you, and you need to get out there and start making money with your craft. Here we are with Dr. Cindy McGovern. So everybody sells and everybody likes to sell. Everybody hates to sell, but you, Dr. Cindy McGovern, have decided that selling is actually something that's good and necessary. Explain that to me. <laughs> So I actually think we sell every day. We just don't call it sales. We are calling it convincing your kid to eat their vegetables or <laughs> persuading your friends to go for pizza instead of salads. So you're actually selling already. I think there's this negative connotation with sales. We think of this like, ew, icky. Right. I mean, because the first thing I think about in sales and anybody who's had to do any kind of commission sales, whether it's, you know, world's greatest chocolate or working in a camera <laughs> store or something like that is always be closing and coffee. <sighs> is for closers. Yes. And we've all sat through a sales meeting with that YouTube clip. Yeah, I'm ready to do that. But that's not your mode of evangelism, I'm guessing. No. And, and it's funny because that's where everybody goes. And I think that movies and television reinforce that. They reinforce that almost like a timeshare, high pressure sales <laughs> sure. approach yeah. because they're creating a caricature of a salesperson. But in fact, we're being sold to every day when we go for coffee. That's a sales conversation. Right. Do you want breakfast with that? <laughs> exactly. We, exactly. So I didn't ask if we wanted coffee. It's like, when, when am I going to feed you now? Yeah. Like, I don't know. And that was a sales conversation. But we didn't feel pressured. And I think that's the difference is helping people to understand that sales is not a high-pressure thing. It doesn't have to be that. And in fact, if you know how to use a sales process, it can help you get more of what you want because it literally is an exchange of information, exchange of money, exchange of energy. And everybody wins. And that's something that I'm excited to talk to you about because this is an art school podcast. And so, so much of what students and artists are doing is like, I have to get my emotions out. I have to get my feelings out. And then it comes time to get paid to do that. And you're often, you know, you got your portfolio under your hand or you're emailing your website and you're like, um, I've shown you this. Do I have a job now? 
And it becomes very, very difficult because so much of us don't learn that. But the kind of lead off question I want to have with you is we're in art school and our whole idea about art school and the artistic expression and creative expression is getting our emotions out into something visually. But outside of the commercial world, how do we sell or can we sell on our emotions? So I absolutely think you can, and I think you should. <laughs> so sales without emotion is what ends up being high pressure sales because they're not connected to the outcome for you. They're only connected to the outcome for themselves. Whereas an artist, you've created something, you've crafted something, you have this product at the end of it, sell what that product does for them. And that's where that sort of problem solution approach comes in. But you have to have the vocabulary to be able to do that. You have to have the process to be able to do it. But I am very emotional in sales. I do take it personal. I want to be able to help people. But I think it's the way that I sell, which is you've got to win at the end of this or it wasn't a successful sale. It's not about me pitching you our services or pitching you my book or whatever. It's about you getting something you need and I'm able to deliver that and that makes me happy, which is where my emotion comes in. And you're, you you're talking about is the client, not me yeah. coming to you with nope. my bag full of emotional response. The other person I'm talking to, the you is winning. Absolutely, and both parties have to win for it to be a successful sale. And so I think with, especially if you're selling some form of art, if you're a graphic designer or if you're a painter or even a performance artist, you're selling whatever that emotion is that is evoked from the other person, from the audience, from the recipient, from the buyer, from the employer. Yeah, because it's interesting. You know, we talk to a lot of people and, you know, it's the sales aspect creeps up a lot because, you know, there's the, uh, there's the obvious, I am a painter. I am putting my painting into a gallery. Somebody writes a big check. And then we talk to people who are producing content for a nonprofit about AIDS or COVID relief or getting people vaccinated. And you go, oh, yeah, that is selling an idea and hopefully an ideal of getting somebody to do something. How do you look at this idea of solving that issue? Solving that issue of I've got a call to action to use the marketing speak. We hear problem solving, and it's a foreign term for so many of us, myself included. So let's use the painter, because I think that's a harder one to, to sort of make that connection, right? Because you get it to the gallery to put it in to sell it to someone. So part of it is, as an artist, understanding what the gallery's goals are. Who are they attracting? Who are they trying to get in front of? Who are they trying to sell to? And then helping them to understand the emotion within your painting what it is that your painting delivers and how it's going to help them meet their goals as a gallery versus just look at my pretty painting. It's a great thing. We know it's a great painting or else you wouldn't be an artist. <laughs> so you have to sell the gallery a story that they can sell to someone else. I want to know your process. I want to know what you went through. I want to know what you were thinking. I want to, you know, if it's a dot on a canvas, tell me what that dot meant. Give the gallery something that they can sell. It's the sizzle, not the steak. You've heard that before. Right, right, <laughs> Going exactly. back to our, our friend Alec Baldwin. <laughs> but truly understanding how it helps the gallery in the end, because that's who you're selling it to. And then you've got to get them to sell it to someone else. Now, if it's an art show where you can be there and you can interact with the patrons and you can share that, I think it's really powerful. But again, you have to have that story to tell. And so often, at least for my friends who are artists, it's such a personal journey. Sure. Sometimes you can't articulate it. Right. And you spend so much time on a mission statement, which is almost like... 
is, I'm sure there's a mission statement online I can sure. copy and rewrite and, and go insert car design <laughs> for painting for something. And you're like, I think that sounds like a mission statement. Yeah. But what would be some of the steps? Because I, I know we're going to get into storytelling because that's obviously what it's all about. We're going to get into emotionally connecting with people. I'm an old school person that through college and even before I was in school, you know, got stuck doing commission sales. So they're always giving you those tricks of, you know, mirroring the person, which is not a trick, but it works. And, you know, self-deprecating. And I know you talk a lot about some of these ideals in your book and you have your, your very strong opinions on these. I do. <laughs> but how does somebody who, you know, I've got all my stuff, I've got my mission statement, I've gone through my class on business development. But now I really got to just go out there and knock, knock, hey, blah, what do I do? So I actually think it's looking at the way that you look at true sales. And this is where, and, and yes, I have very strong opinions on all the things you just said, because I never wanted to be in sales because I thought it was icky. So I had to find a way to make sales work for me because I ended up in a sales job. And what I realized is that the fundamental core of sales is trust. It simply boils down to truly creating trust between the two parties so that you know I'm not selling you, but I'm inviting you in to see the vision that I have for my painting or see the vision that I have for your graphic design or whatever. And once that trust exists, it's really easy to meld the two visions to create some kind of execution plan. But that's where I think artists struggle, and I'll put myself in that category too, because I think we confuse rapport and trust. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's the tough one because rapport, you know, anybody can fake it. You can be charming. I can be charming for 10 minutes. I'm married. I have proof <laughs> that I was charming for a good afternoon at least. How does somebody who's fresh out of school, yeah. and actually, you know, fresh out of school and then maybe 10 years down the road when you're actually trying to start your career, because that first 10 years of your career may just be all freelance, where you're just like, give me whatever. I'll do whatever you want me to do, where we've used our rapport up. How does trust form? There's two ways to do it, right? It's over time where you build trust of knowing someone and a track record of success, mm -hmm. you know, is a freelancer, right? You've delivered and you've completed 100% of the jobs that you were to do. It's good referral, good resources, you know, references for you. But there's also the piece of recognizing that you hear the other person. And I sort of talk about my steps in the book and it's listen and establish trust because that's the best way to do it. If you're asking the right questions of the other party, and understanding what that vision is, what they're trying to accomplish versus just pitching yourself. Mm -hmm. That's where trust comes in because have you ever had a conversation with somebody and at the end you're like, oh, they get me. Yeah, exactly. You know, they get me. Yeah. They understand me. Yeah. It's simply because you created a connection where you felt open enough to be vulnerable with them and share something with them. Uh, we're going to bounce around that because I want to key on that because that's something that I know in the interview process yeah. for people who are working in the creative field, and we're going to focus a little bit on the Bay Area because we're in the Bay Area here, but I think it's all over, is, you know, there is the person who does, I'm doing a painting, I'm a painter, that's one thing. Then there is the graphic designer, the video game designer. You have different starting points. I'm working in video. I'm working in this. I'm, I'm going to work for a corporation. Yeah. There is hierarchy. There are departments. There's HR. I can't say pupukaka. <laughs> And you go through these rounds of interviews where somebody comes in with a whole list of questions and you're prepared for that. And then somebody comes and goes, hey, let's just go get a cup of coffee and talk. <laughs> and you're like, no, I <laughs> yeah. don't want to do that. I'm not prepared. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's a couple things that come to mind with the interview process, especially for someone that is an artist, whether it's a graphic designer or anything else. You have to recognize that a lot of times the person interviewing you has no idea what you actually do. <laughs> True. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's a good safe space to be. <laughs> they may know that they need a graphic designer and they have that list of 10 questions. They may not actually know what it means to graphic design something at the end of that. So part of it is understanding what their role is in that hierarchy and helping them to be successful to the next layer up. So if your job is the interviewer and you're the first round interviewer, my job is to look as good as I can to your boss for you. Okay. So that you sell me to that next level of interviews. And recognize that, and don't get frustrated either, because I think that's the other thing where you feel like they're not hearing oh, you absolutely. when you're explaining something to them. And it's like, they don't get it because they just don't have the vocabulary. And I, and I run into this too. I try to explain what I need for like a website or I want this on a flyer or something. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what it's called, but right. I want it to look like this. You know? Yeah, and then on the opposite <laughs> side, you're like, do I use technical jargon? Right. Do, I, I don't want to mansplain. I don't want to talk yeah. down. I don't want to sound like a jerk. But we're not speaking the same language. You what don't do even do? have the same vocabulary basis. So that's a trust piece, right? Is to help this person to understand, hey, I've got this skill set and I'm pretty sure it's going to match with what you're needing over there. But I want to make sure I understand what you're looking for, what you need to be successful to look good to your boss. And so, you know, they're going to have the list of 10 questions because let's face it, this is a first round interview. They're just striking people off of a list at that yeah. point. But I will tell you this, even if you don't have all the 10 check marks, if they trust you and you did develop a good rapport with them, you're going to the next round. So it's a matter of listening to that one person and, again, not getting frustrated with it because I'm on the other side of that. Like, I know I don't have the vocabulary. I know that <laughs> you're going to have to explain it to me. But if I feel like you get me and you hear me and that we could figure out a way to get a common language, then I'm in. That's not where you go in for the kill. That's not where you go in and let's convert. Let's go in and go, great, you ready to sign up or hey. Give me the job, which is always the thing you want to do at the end. You're like, so now what? And that brings up that question where, you know, you've had that good interview spot. You've gotten to that second round and you've built trust and you're like, yeah, that person gets me. I, I get him. And then at the end, you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to. Now, what, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> What's my next step? Well, I think this is where your preparation for the interview comes into play, too, because remember, an interview is you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. And I think if you've come from a freelance background, it feels like you're not allowed to do that sure. because you were sort of like, oh, I just need to make sure I'm a fit. And, and I'm not and begging, this. but I'm begging. <laughs> well, and I get it. I mean, we got bills to pay, right? Yeah. But when you go into this, you're looking for a fit and making sure that you're going to be successful there and you're going to be happy there. And so I think you've got to have, you know, they have their 10 questions. You need yours, too. And be clear on what it is you're looking for. I mean, you may get to the end of the interview process and find out they thought they needed a graphic designer and it was something else entirely. But they also may create a role for you because they saw your skill set. Yeah. So it's finding ways to, and I've done that even as a business owner myself. Like I've interviewed somebody for a social media position. I'm like, no, I want you for this though. Are you cool with that? <laughs> yeah. And actually they not to sell the school, but I know they do a lot of collaboration classes and some foundation classes where it's like, hey, 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 you're not the greatest at A. However, we've just figured out that you're amazing at D and C. And these are great. This is a career. You need to focus on that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And I want to come back to on that question where the insight you gave where you're interviewing for the job and you're also interviewing them. Can you, and I think I know the answer to this because I saw it, but explain how you can use the book and the steps where I'm trying to sell me as opposed and flip it on them. Yeah. For lack of a better setup. Yeah, no, and, and it is. It's a two-way street. And I truly believe that any sale is a two-way street. If someone is explaining something to you or pitching you, that's a pitch. That's not a sale. That's just a pitch. Mm. So you're selling them on you, and they should be selling you on them, their culture, their company, their organization, their structure, the resources that you're going to have. You know, if they're telling you that you're going to end up with this old piece of technology, you're <laughs> right. not going to be able to, right. to do what you do. Yeah. So recognizing that there needs to be that fit. But I think one of the things in my book that would really help people is how you differentiate yourself and you tell your story. And so mm. I talk about that and it's a differentiating statement, but it's really just, these are my superpowers and this is how it helps you. And I want you to understand that versus here's my thing that I deliver. Here's my portfolio. Here's, you know, links to all the things that I've built. And if you can tell that story in a way that it impacts them and it says, look, I was able to save my client's time because we created a common language so that I could understand and wasn't using technical jargon and I was able to execute the vision. Great. Like I've, I've got a, a team member with, that works with me and I am notorious for doing stick figure drawings of what I actually want. <laughs> and she somehow reads my, my mind. <laughs> but in three years of working with me, we have come to the conclusion that I do not have the vocabulary to explain it. So I draw it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, you know, that's that problem solving thing. So, yes. much, so many people are like, yeah, whatever works, just get it out of your brain. It doesn't matter how it looks. Yeah. That is something, you know, so much of us that are doing creative work, you know, there's always that cynicism, like, I don't want to do sales. The work stands for itself. Yeah. And I'm going to pick on graphic designers. I have a love hate for graphic designers. Many of them who I've worked with are wonderful people, but there's very much of after it's done, they with their arms folded, kind of smirk, like, look what we did. And that's it. It's like, I, but I, I don't understand. Yeah. And telling that story is a hard thing. So the question is, if once somebody's done something, is there a mind space or is there something they should start, you know, a checklist of, okay, get out of this. Let's get into that. Yes. And, and I think this is where your personal brand comes into play. And I talk a little bit about that too, but who do you want to be known as? Because the word graphic designer doesn't actually mean anything anymore because there are a lot of them. It is a full industry. Ten years ago. <laughs> sure. But, and, and it's, oh, absolutely, yeah. But ten years ago, that was new. Yeah. Now, we know, everybody knows a graphic designer. Okay, so what makes you awesome? What makes you the fit for this? Tell that story. Like, I'm a business consultant. I'm a business coach. There's thousands of me. Right. Right. What do we do that makes it different than everybody else? These are labels that, you know, there's so many. I mean, and that's a question we're going to get to later. Well, actually, let's get to it now because that's the best way to talk about it. So many people, I want to get away from the creative nomenclature because you brought up the term business coach. And, you know, with the Internet, with everything being available to us, there is no secret anymore. And we're spending half of our time trying to find the tips and tricks and the massive amount of internet forms. Like, here's my interview. Here's what happened. Here's a transcript of the secret recording I made. We have so many people that we go up against jobs with and so many people that we're interviewing with who have this term of founder. <laughs> and it's like, you're five years out of school. You didn't find anything. <laughs> or you look at their LinkedIn profile. It's like, you founded a company that lasted for six months. And then you look at that and it's like, it was you. 
Yeah. How does somebody deal with bad sales and get past the, screw this guy. How am I supposed to brand myself better than somebody who's just BSing me? So I want to talk about the labels for a second, though, because I think there's a piece of us that we feel like we need a label, right? We feel like we have to put ourselves into a box so that others can understand us. I don't believe in labels. I'm, I'm the CEO, but I don't ever use that. I'm the first lady of sales because that was the nickname that I was given. Yeah, so right. yeah. we weird labels here, right? But but I think it's looking at why you feel like you need that label in the first place. Is it an ego thing? Because it could be, and that's totally fine. Sure. Do you need that to make yourself feel better? Do you need this so that people know what box to put you in with regard to the role that you play within the organization? Or if you are truly the artist and you're the evangelist, own that. Own that that's who you are. Because when you say founder, I think other people are doing the work. And if I like you, okay. then I want you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk to the founder. I want to talk to the person that's actually going to execute my vision. Right. So knowing that labels can work against you as well, but truly looking at your brand, who do you want to be known as? I mean, there's a thousand and one sites that you can hire a freelancer, right? Yeah. And you put in search words yeah. for these people. I need a blank. I need a blank. I need a blank. Recognizing that when I get to read the three lines of your bio before I click read more, if you don't grab me, I'm not reading any further. We are not that different when we're having a conversation. Yeah. If, if you don't grab me in the first 30 seconds of the conversation, I've blanked you out. I'm like doing my grocery list in my head, right? <laughs> know what you want to be known as and bring that to the conversation. Not just faking it because that happens so much in the creative world. I mean, any world, but especially for creatives, there's wacky dovetailing of, hey, let's take all of these Silicon Valley, you know, buzzword tech terms and jam it onto I actually make pretty pictures. That's what you hire me to do. But I'm a founder and a creative director right. of Pretty Pictures <laughs> yeah. Incorporated. It's like, but yeah, but that makes sense. I, okay, that, that actually makes me feel better and I hope makes other people feel better. It's like, well, if you're a founder, then you're not the person doing it. And that's what it sounds like, right? Right. So the other thing that I would say too about just sort of the personal branding aspect and knowing that if I can't tell people who you are and what you do, I can't send you referrals. And so if I sit here and I start describing my friend Bobby as the founder, mm -hmm. everybody goes, oh, okay, so he's got this organization under him, so he's not the guy. Right, right. But if I say my friend Bobby is this amazing producer and he works on blank, 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 all of a sudden then it's like, oh, but I need a Bobby too. Right, right. And then that creates that sort of shortening the sales cycle and getting over that hump of trust because I'm advocating for you. This is the same thing in an interview, too, by the way. Like yeah. that level one interviewer, that first round, they need to be your advocate. You have to give them enough in that. So when they're looking at your resume and they see things like founder, fess up. Be like, <laughs> I was three years out of art school. I didn't know what to call myself, so I called myself a founder because I found myself. Yay. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so that's <Right>. great. <laughs> now where do you go? Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, that really is tremendously happy, relaxing advice, because that's the hardest part for so many people is, is, you know, owning the brand, owning what you want to do and actually admitting to yourself, is that what you do? Is that what you want to do? Which is so hard. I mean, coming up with what you want to do, that's another two years on the couch. <laughs> We're not going to solve that today. <laughs> but, you know, getting into that sales mode and getting, you know, kind of starting off from the beginning, 
Tell me a little bit of your backstory because you were not a salesperson at all, but when you speak of sales, I feel better about it. <laughs> well, I'm happy for that. I, I literally wrote the book for non-salespeople. I wrote this for my sort of 19-year-old self, right? So I never wanted to be in sales. I went to school for communication. I have a PhD in communication, interpersonal communication, leadership, all that good stuff. And then I was a college professor. And I thought that was my life's work, right? So then I started consulting in the summer, realized, wow, I really liked that. Went to work for a consulting firm full time and six months in, found myself in a sales role. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. Like, <laughs> first of all, why would you put me into this? I am so not a salesperson. I can't stand salespeople and I need to start looking for a job. So I was watching these guys around me sell fast, slick. They were funny. They were self-deprecating. They did all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm never going to be able to do that. Like, everybody thinks I'm an extrovert, but like, if I take any tests, I'm probably an introvert. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Ah, what do I do? <laughs> so I watched all of them. I read all these books. This is pre-podcast days, sure. pre-YouTube you know YouTube video days. And I started recognizing, wait a second, he's doing a good job of listening to that person. I'm a good listener. Okay, he's doing a good job of understanding what their problem is. I'm a problem solver. And I started finding myself in the sales process. And then I created my sales process, which is what I talk about in the book, The Five Steps. Yeah. But it needed to fit a non-sales person. It needed to fit a person who doesn't identify with like, let me get up and tap dance for you right. today. Yeah. It was more along the lines of, I want to understand what you need. And if I can help you, I will. And if I can't, then I won't. And being okay with that as well. And that's a great key because I think that is the hardest part for so many people on the creative side is anybody looking for a job. So, I mean, this is not just a creative conversation, but anybody who's trying to get past the pitch or get next role is being able to go, no, I am not the right one for you. Yeah. And that, as I'm thinking of and what you said, that is what establishes Trust, Trust, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. We walk away from a lot of sales as a consulting firm because we're not the right fit for them. And it's okay to do that. And what's funny is they usually end up telling a story about us to somebody <laughs> who can use our services. So it turns into a referral. But I'm not going to sell you something you don't need. And I think that's the biggest maybe difference in the way that I teach sales is like, give yourself permission to recognize when it doesn't work. When that gallery is not a fit for you, when that organization doesn't get you, and you're going to be miserable there, have the, the chutzpah to walk away and be like, you know what, there's another door that's going to open for me. But that, that's really scary, especially if you're in a place of scarcity or you've been freelancing and now you need a, a full-time gig or you need medical benefits or whatever. Sure. You get a little scared, but that's where you've got to have a solid plan, which yeah. is, I mean, that's my step one, right? It's like you've got to have that solid plan of where you want to go and give yourself permission to say no to this stuff that doesn't get you closer to executing that plan. That's a hard, scary thing to do. And, you know, what's some advice you have on that? Because that seems like the part that's like, I don't want to plan. I don't know. I, I, I have rent. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So most people are not like super planners. I would probably venture to say I'm a super planner. Like I love a to-do list and, you know, I'm the gal that like if it's not on there, I put it on there so I can mark it off because I – makes me feel good. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's about getting to where you actually want to be. And maybe that's part of it as an artist. 
and even, you know, regardless of what your art form is, whether you're a business person or you consider yourself a graphic designer, you consider yourself a painter, you consider yourself a singer, where do you want to go? What's your ultimate goal here? Is it to have a regular spot at blank? Is it to get that full-time job in an organization that does X, Y, and Z? Is it that you want to be a storyteller over here? Get clear on what the path is for you. And I think that's also one of those things where your path is telling your story through your art form, and that's great. But recognize why you're doing that. Where do you want to be? Is it that at the end of five years, I want to be painting full time? At the end of five years, I want to be performing full time? Is it at the end of five years, I want to be blank? Mm -hmm. And then work backwards from there. Now I'm going to throw you the curve because this is what comes up all the time or what comes up as somebody gets past that initial step in their career because you've had it, I've had it. 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, I'm going to pivot so hard my neck has not is broken and my butt's not cut up with my head yet. This wasn't my plan? Yeah. Question mark. How does that fit into all this? How does your brain catch up with you? So I lived it. I mean, truly, I never thought I was going to be in sales. And here I am like the sales evangelist, right? So, I mean, it's whiplash. But it's also recognizing there's a problem that needs a solution. And that's literally what happened. And I'm very mission driven. Like, I want to help people. That's why I was a teacher. That's why I'm a consultant. That's why I'm a coach. Like, I like that. But if you had told me 15, 20 years ago, I was going to write a book about (laughs) sales, I would have been like, whatever. (laughs) Do they make herringbones for women? Right. Do I get a three piece herringbone suit? Do I need the white shoes? I don't know. (laughs) So I would not have ever thought that. But that was the pivot for me where I had that epiphany moment of like, Why didn't anybody tell me this? (laughs) I have three degrees in communication and I didn't learn what's in that book. (laughs) Like, why didn't somebody tell me? And so I get a job to be a communicator now. That's what? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so I think when you look at those pivots in career, there's a reason for it. And you have Mm. a choice. You either you take the fork in the road or you don't. And where it goes is up to you. But I think it's looking at, okay, I did this for this many years. Maybe there was a layoff at this organization and that's not an option anymore. That's a great time to reassess your plan. That's a great time to look at it and go, okay, is this where I still want to be? Is this what I still want to be doing? Does this still bring me joy? And if it doesn't, you look at your pivot and you start, but again, you replan. You have to take that step. And, and a lot of people don't want to plan because they think, oh, well, something's going to come up. Of course, something is going to come up. We're not robots. But get clear on what you think it is. And if you can't plan for 10 years, plan for five. If you can't plan for five, plan for three. If you can't plan for three, plan for one. But do something because what happens after you have a plan is you start recognizing all the things around you that can help you get there. But without that plan, it's sort of like you're floating. Yeah, and it's like, oh, sure. cool, this could be cool, and that could be These cool. These are fabulous opportunities to procrastinate. <laughs> and I'll tell you the other thing is you fall in love with the potential of stuff that could happen, and you're like— I love <laughs> filling out applications. This is my day. I filled out 75 applications today, honey. I have succeeded. Yeah. I'm going to go watch TV now. <laughs> yeah, but you also end up taking on work that doesn't get you closer to your plan. You know, you got a friend that needs some help with blank and you're like, okay, I could do that for a little bit. And then you discount your rate or something. And then you've got, oh, well, I could do this. Yeah, I could do a lot of things. I could be a housekeeper. Sure. <laughs> and I don't mind cleaning my house, but is that the greatest use of my skill set? Probably not. Yeah. So getting that clear plan and then looking for those opportunities around you and nobody does it alone. And I, I have to say this because this is one of the other big misconceptions like sales and 
oh, I, you know, I did it. I'm the big salesperson. Right. No, nobody does this life alone. That's where your network comes in. And you're building your Rolodex from the minute you take a breath. And I think a lot of times we sort of commune with like people. So artists know artists and business knows business and musicians know musicians. Look at the rest of your network. Those are the people that are going to be able to help you expand out and help you find those opportunities and use their help, ask for their help. One of the two topics I want to ask you about, because asking for help seems like the most, like, don't, I will ask for anything, anything else but help. Yeah. What does that do for people when they see you ask for help? Because a lot of people think, and myself included, go, I don't want to be vulnerable. Because I'm, I'm not that type of artist. I'm the more in-your-face, aggressive competition. That's the next question I'm going to ask you about. But when you're asking for help, it makes you sound, it makes you feel weak. So I totally get it. And I used to look at it that way as well. But what I want you to recognize is think about how you feel when you help someone. How good does that feel? Sure. How awesome. Like, you're like, I put on my superhero cape and I made it happen. Look at me. I'm awesome. Yeah. So... If that's so amazing, why wouldn't you let somebody else feel that? Why wouldn't you give them that gift? Like, truly, if you look at it that way. But the other thing is, if you're truly building your network with people that can help you, chances are you're finding ways to help them as well. So sure, it it's is still a, your idea. Yeah, it's it still, is. A, it's, I'm the one who kind of told you. How to yeah, it's yeah. a two-way street. But I think it's finding that bravery within yourself to recognize that help is not a bad word. But nobody literally does it alone. Like, I always giggle when I see one of these shows and they're like, oh, they were an overnight success, self-made. I'm like, Ugh. somebody gave you a job Ugh. at some point. Somebody mentored you. Somebody taught you that skill set. You did not do it alone. I have to harp on that because that is one of the worst things I've ever heard. If you're fortunate enough to meet somebody who's successful in business, and this goes back to the networking, the mentoring. There's a person, a gentleman by the name of Dan Gottlieb I met him many, many years ago who sat me down at his kitchen table. And he goes, self-made people are useless. Anybody that says they're self-made, don't talk to them. People call me self-made. I worked with a billion people and I put my neck out and did this, 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 and this. And he had done amazing things. I mean, he was a realtor and this and, you know, built a car. And, you know, you're just like, he's like, I'm not self-made. That's a joke. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. That kind of goes in that I'm a founder. I'm self-made. All these buzzwords and gobbledygook. You're like, really? So I joke that I'm just the dancing chicken and my team actually does all the work, which is true. Like I show up on a stage and I talk for 50 minutes, but there is so much behind the scenes right. that happens right. that I am not only not involved with, but literally have no idea how to do. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm just the dancing chicken. I am well aware of that. But, you know, I'll share a bit of my story on this. When I decided to write this book, I had no idea how to write a book. I had no idea how to get a book published. I had no idea even on the process, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> so I started reaching out to people that I knew that had written books. And I'm like, hey, can I have 30 minutes of your time? I'll buy you a cup of coffee. And mm -hmm. I want to talk about how you did this. Yeah. And through that, I started just asking questions and I started learning, oh, wait a second, you have to send out queries. Okay, what's a query? <laughs> and like, who do I send it to? And how do right. I find these people's email addresses? And how do I get an agent? And I just got chills thinking about it. Like, had I not had all of those people share their journey with me. There's no way this book ever would have gotten out. No way. Right. But yet somehow I get credit for it. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't do this. Like, you have no idea how many literally dozens of people helped bring this. That brings up that big 
to me and to a large group of creators and, and, and people especially involved in sales, when we're talking about sales, that immediately wakes up a certain group of people. The idea of competition and depending on your age, and again, maybe I'm 43. So to me, you know, somebody 20 years younger than me seems like, you know, five lifetimes ago. A while ago when we were young, when I was young, you know, competition was what we were told was important first. You've got to be better than the person in front of you. And in, in certain types of creative fields, I started working in camera and TV where it was definitely very high elbow, very, you're only as good as your last shot type of competition. That doesn't necessarily play ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but how do you deal with or better use your competitive spirit in this aspect? There's some magic to having a competitive spirit because I think that you want to win, but what's driving the win? Is it that you want to be rich and successful? Is it that you want to help people? Is it, you know, what is it? Like my driving spirit, the thing that gets me up in the morning is helping other people. Mm -hmm. When I see that somebody else landed that job or, you know, sold that painting or grew their business or landed the role, then that makes me happy. So recognize what it is that motivates you. But the other thing that with competition is recognize that without competition, you're not awesome. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> okay, we're done. That was a wonderful yeah, yeah. talk from Dr. Cindy. Make sure we delete those files before she's gone. God, not awesome. But think about it. If there's nothing to compare you to, then you're just the thing. Right. Oh, wow. Ooh. Oh, ah. I know. Let me let that one sit. Oh, that hurts. That's the social media quote right there. Ouch. So you want that competition because then that gives them something to compare to. As human beings, we like a choice. That's why when you go to a restaurant, even a fast food joint, there's three choices, small, medium, and large, because you want a choice. Yeah. People want a choice. And so if there's no competition, do you just magically win by default or do they even know that they need you and how do they categorize you? So recognizing competition can be a good thing. And also, especially for an artist, recognizing your own swim lane and where you do not swim and being able to say, hey, I don't do that, but I got a guy or gal. Oh, I don't do that, but this chick is awesome. Yeah. And, and truly owning that and embracing competition. We send business to other consulting firms literally on a weekly oh, basis wow. because we don't do what they do. Yeah. And we don't want to. We grow business. We help people to make more money, period. That's it. Yeah, yeah. If you want some kind of marketing help, we're not your people. If you want, you know, even some of the financial aspects of like running the numbers and P&L revamps and stuff, we don't do that. But I got a guy. Yeah, yeah. So recognize that the competition maybe isn't competing for the same exact role you are. Maybe it's the same dollars. Sure. But they're not competing for that because you're owning what your own superpowers are. But you have to be able to tell that story. Yeah, because that dovetails into that help. It's like, well, if I help them, they'll be better than me. But I'm the best, I think, right now in my mind. <laughs> but you're the best at what you do. Right. And sure. that's good. But that's, own that. Yeah. And recognize that they might be the best at what they do. Like, <laughs> it's funny, when I was defending my dissertation, one of my professors on the committee came up to me and he goes, 
just remember when you walk in that room, this is the last time they get to tell you you're not as smart as they are. <laughs> and I've always remembered that because I was like, oh, yeah, like that's what this is about. Right. It's, it's, you know, yeah. it's OK. The warm embrace of academia <laughs> is about to unfurl and now get it in while you can. <laughs> yeah, but it truly is recognizing the competitive spirit, but knowing your own competitive edge. And I think that's also, I mean, not to be a broken record, but it goes back to planning. How do you sell your competitive edge? How do you sell who you are and what you do? Are you faster? Are you more communicative? That's one of the creative things. And I'll tell you this as a business owner that I've struggled with in years past is the communication. You do magical things that I don't understand and I don't have a vocabulary for. And then they come to fruition, but I have no idea how the sausage is being made. Maybe if you know that this organization needs updates, you sell that and you say, mm. oh, I'm super communicative. I give you a biweekly update on whatever we're working on. I'll send you proofs. I'll send you. Maybe that's what they need. Yeah. Maybe that's what differentiates you. And maybe that's enough. When somebody's getting into that point now, so we, we've talked about competition. We've talked about helping people. We've talked about knowing who you are in the planning. There is a point where a lot of the people are going to listen to this and people buy books like this and consult because I want to be at the top over the mountain. For people who are very happy being part of the machine, how does this help? So you still have to get the job somehow. <laughs> so that's, that's an interview. True. So it'll help you do that. But it's also selling your ideas. And I think that's also one of the things that's really hard. Like whether you're a creative or whether you're, you know, a technician of some sort, mm. you have to be able to explain yourself to your colleagues so they get it. They get yeah. the part of the machine that you play and why you play that part better than anybody else. And that's where you've got to have that story. That's your personal brand again. Like, yeah. you know, working with IT, I mean, that's like, so far, technology is a sharp knife drawer. I don't touch it kind of a thing. <laughs> but being able to know if I have a problem, and we call our guy Guru, but I'm just like, oh, I got to call Guru. Yeah. Like, he'll fix it. He'll magically remote in. Right. But it's knowing that he's got that skill set and he can explain it to me in a way that it's like, oh, I understand. So you're going to do this and then this person's going to do this and then this person's going to do this. And it shows you where they're that cog in the wheel. That's something good that you, you've keyed on, and that really drives it home, too, because we all make fun of IT, and IT makes fun of us. And it's, <laughs> it's a vicious circle of making fun of each other. But it sounds like, and I hate saying it because it's an overused word, but you're going to explain it better than me. Empathy seems to be an important part of what we're doing. Why? Why? Yeah, well, this is actually where your artistic emotion is going to serve you really well. If you allow it to. Oh, man. But yeah. you, know, you got to wear your heart on your sleeve? And, well, not necessarily, but you definitely at least need to identify with the other person. And this is where you having that EQ is a good thing. You know, there are corporations literally spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to teach their people how to have emotions. <laughs> like, right. I mean, yeah, the, the times have changed so much that, you know, the conversations we're having, even with people 10 years younger than us, it's like, why would you care about that? And like, I'm glad somebody's caring about yeah. that now, finally. We never had the moment of, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Everything all right? Yeah, it, it's interesting. There's so much new concept. A lot of money is being spent on, which just seems like being a human. 
It does, but it's funny because it's sort of like we tried to create this workspace that was free of humanity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How was that a good idea? You know, (laughs) truly, sales is an emotional thing. And I find that artists and creatives do this really well because you are so connected to it. It's funny because people will say, well, don't you get a lot of rejection? And it's like, yeah, I do. I mean, successful salespeople, there's a lot of rejection. It's true. Yeah. But it's the way that I couch it and it's the way that I tell myself the story around it, which is like, okay, it's not a fit and that's okay because I'm not going to be able to do what I do for them in this moment. Mm -hmm. Might be a no for now, might be a no forever, I don't know. But my emotion isn't any different. I still want them to be successful. I want to help them find a solution to the problem, even if it's not me. You brought that full circle so well, which is why you are the first lady of sales. <laughs> but, but in reality, I mean, that's the hard part. I mean, that was why I really was excited about having you on was because it's that emotional connection, which so much of the artistic world is like, get it out there and explode it all over the place. And then the corporate world is, how dare you? How dare you bottle it up? And now it's kind of opening up and it's giving us a chance to actually work together. In closing, other than getting the book, I read it and it's actually one of the better sales books I've read. It's, Thank it's you. really nice. It's the antithesis of always be closing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, again, those of us of a certain age have had that jammed in our ear. It's almost a joke at this point. How should I start approaching selling my ideas to the people I'm around? So recognize again that you are building your Rolodex already. This is true. I mean, talk about aging myself, right? <laughs> Roll a check. <laughs> That's a spindly thing with little pieces of paper. Lists. Yeah. I don't even know what you call it. Contacts. Yes. Yes. There we go. <laughs> but you're already building that. So the friendships that you make here, the friendships that you're making now, the connections that you're making now are going to serve you well beyond. So recognize that. The second thing is get clear on what it is you want. And that may pivot during school. Yeah. You may start doing this and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go over here. And that's okay. Totally fine. But again, this is where own that journey and be honest with yourself about it. Because that plan and that foundation you're building right now is actually what you're going to follow. So, I mean, it's like, gosh, what if you start doing this and then all of a sudden, three years after school, you're like, I hate this. I got to go get a job, you know, get clear. And then the next thing is look for those opportunities to start creating connections now. It's truly about mastering connection more than anything and recognize nobody does it alone. Like you need to like put it on a post-it and like <laughs> remind yourself every day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that one there is the hard one. <laughs> it, it is, but, and especially if you're a solo artist of some sort, right? Like if you are not part of the machine or you don't wanna be and you wanna do your own thing, like that's really hard, but recognize people want to help other people own that. Yeah. It's always interesting when you realize that there are a lot of people who enjoy that. Yeah. And that's not bad. No. And it feels so good to be the superhero. Like yeah. it is the most awesome feeling, yet you somehow want to deprive other people of that. So, you know, know that that's it. And then it is establishing trust and listening to other people. And this is where truly being a creative, I think, is magical because you do have that emotional connection. If you go to a show, It's not what they said in the dialogue. It's how it made you feel. Right. If you see a painting, it's not the colors in the painting. It's how you reacted to them. If it's graphic design and you see this website, it's not the website. It's the interface. It's the user experience. It's all of those pieces. That's all emotion. And that is all building trust that you will be able to evoke the emotions I'm asking for. 
I'm not going to ask any more questions because I will just screw up everything you just said. So, Dr. Cindy, where can we find the book and more information about you? The book is available at your local booksellers as well as Amazon and on my website, drcindy.com. And I'm all over social media. And so one of my favorite things is to hear how people are actually doing with the book and the steps. And so I'd love to hear some success stories. And um, remember, every job really is a sales job. It's just not the icky kind. <laughs> Perfect. We will put all of that information in the show notes because that is so important. Again, thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. So there you have it. Some great advice and a great story. And I hope you took some notes because if you've ever dreamed about a career in art and design, more and more art and design career opportunities are on the rise and employers are on the hunt for the next generation of talented and of course skilled creative professionals. Here at Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco and of course anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request info about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, including game development, industrial design, illustration, and fine art, just visit our website at academyart.edu slash creative mind. My name is Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening.